Welcome to Ability Assistance. My name is Phyllis Jones, Chair of the North Andover Commission on Ability Assistance. And I'm Stacy Leibowitz. I am the Secretary for the Commission on Ability Assistance. Please stay tuned after the show for important information about the Community Choice Power Supply Program. Now, full disclosure, we've got somebody running a camera today who has a service animal. So every so often you might hear a yawn, a pant. Maybe he gets up and shakes his collars a little bit. So if you hear that, that's what's going on in the background. We're not having sound issues today. Today's guest is an old friend to North Andover, Barbara Italian. She is now the Executive Director of the Disability Law Center. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's our pleasure. We're going to start a little bit. I always like throwing this question out there first. Everybody comes into this field, whether it be working in it or volunteering in it, because they have some sort of connection mm -hmm. to the field. Would you care to share yours? Sure. Well, uh, really what motivated me to do disability policy work, you know, previously in the legislature and for the Ark of Massachusetts uh, was really my son Rudy, who is now 32 years old. Uh, Rudy's on the autism spectrum. Uh, when he came of age, there were no services and supports for kids like him. So I literally started in North Andover setting up a support group uh, for folks with Asperger's and high-functioning autism. Um, and uh, from there, got involved with the Asperger's Association of New England, and from there decided to run you know, for political office, for state rep when I represented North Andover starting 20 years ago this year was when oh, I was first wow. sworn in. Yeah. So, you know, uh, because informed by my experience with my son and also the fact that I was a social worker at Elder Services, I really decided to focus on community-based supports for seniors and folks with disabilities. There's a lot of overlap there. So that's really why I decided to, uh, you know, get involved in the field. No, that, that makes complete sense. For me, it's a matter of my son has his own mental and cognitive health issues. We started with ADHD, then we learned about epilepsy, um, and recently he's been finally, he was finally able to get a neuropsych. I'm sure you understand how difficult those are to get, mm -hmm. um, irregardless of whether or not insurance is paying for it. Right. And his neuropsych found that he has associated mood disruptive disorder. Um, he was put on the spectrum because he was technically diagnosed with Asperger's and as I'm, you know, everybody is aware, DSM for whatever reason no longer recognizes Asperger's as a separate, mm -hmm. they put them on the spectrum. And he's got PTSD from when he was six so many years ago and the world stopped, you know, the world didn't stop, but he did. I mean, he's just, but he's thriving but it's because of things like that build, that build up. That's what makes me continue wanting to, mm -hmm. to volunteer in this field. And for me, it's having a younger sister with a developmental disability and a coexisting mental illness. Mm -hmm. And as I, you know, we had discussed off camera, I had moved her from Florida to Massachusetts after uh, our mother had passed away. And, and that was quite an eye-opening experience and process to get her here and to try to get services for her. And as you said, you know, some things were just not in existence. Mm -hmm. uh, or some of the parameters make it very challenging to obtain certain services. And I'm sure that, you know, from our conversation earlier, that that was a challenge for you as well. Mm. So Now, lawyer. Lawyer? <laughs> I am not a lawyer. Lawyer or not a lawyer at all. I am the first non-lawyer, I believe, to be the director of Disability Law Center in its 50 years of existence. Wow. Wow, that is, that is a major one. But I've written law, debated law, exactly. amended law, negotiated law, made sure it was implemented. So you're no stranger so to law. That's correct. <laughs> right. That's correct. Yeah. Right. So lawyers who are in the field, we don't know everything about the Disability Law Center, but mm -hmm. it's always something that, that pops up mm -hmm. whenever we're dealing with things like Social Security, um, SS, whether it be SSA or SSDI, mm -hmm. um, just basic services for people who need to be able to make sure that they're getting the same service support that people 
who are not considered disabled are getting, mm -hmm. and you have a huge umbrella. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to kind of cast an overall net and we can pick it apart in terms of what the Disability Law Center is about? Of course. So as you mentioned, it's the broadest possible uh, definition of disability. So behavioral health, intellectual and developmental disability health, uh, physical disability, so in that subcategory I would say blind and low vision, deaf and hard of hearing, uh, folks with physical incapacities and challenges. Um, and so it, it's all of that. Um, because you mentioned Social Security uh, first, I will say that one of the things that we do, and we are the protection and advocacy agency for the state of Massachusetts, given those rights and responsibilities by both the governor of Massachusetts and the federal government. Uh, so one of the things we do is we work with Social Security. We have a rep payee team. Uh, and so if there are folks out there who are concerned about uh, how their money is being managed by their rep payee, they can certainly contact us. Um, you know, we are also given, uh, you know, a, a slate of uh, folks that we need to go out and investigate every year by the federal government just to just to check and be sure people are managing folks money properly so we have dedicated staff there's a a, a, um, a group of four who um, have uh, social security high clearance to be able to do this work and they go all over the state and so they go into people's homes to do this work uh, but they also go into institutions so uh, I remember in December of last year, they were going into a number of the larger uh, developmental disability and mental health institutions to look at all of the uh, folks in there that needed to have those rep payee um, uh, paperwork looked at. For people who don't know, what exactly is a rep payee? A representative payee is someone who is tasked with managing the money of someone who receives Social Security, uh, Social Security disability payments. Do they have to be a legal guardian? Uh, that's a great question for which I don't know the answer. I'm not sure that they have to be a, a no, legal guardian. I yeah, don't because I I was a rep payee for my sister before mm -hmm. I actually became her legal guardian mm -hmm. for um, a very short time, and I decided to relinquish that to her agency because I felt that that was a better dynamic for her and I. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to be, uh, a number of different people can be rep payees, whether it's a legal entity or um, it could be an agency, obviously, that's doing it. In her case, it's, it's her provider that is uh, the rep payee. So right. there is some flexibility there. So in that instance, we would go in and work with the provider and look at mm -hmm. all the different yep. folks in that giving se given mm -hmm. setting that, that they right. are doing rep PE for. So see, not being a lawyer, <laughs> on some of this, if you ask me specific legal questions, I'm going to... I'm going to say, when in doubt, let's let's right. fact check and double check with Disability Law Center. And I know at some point they'll put up the website and the phone number. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but that's also the thing. I mean, I am a lawyer, right? and I have practiced disability law, but I didn't know that. So that's why. And if people yeah. weren't sure, they could always call uh, our phone number, or we do intakes uh, online. Okay. Uh, there's an online intake form. Um, we always suggest that if people are in doubt, have questions, or if a, a problem is beginning and they're worried that it's gonna snowball, always better to get in touch with us sooner rather than later. Uh, we have an intake department of four people. We receive about 10,000 intakes in a given year. And we are a staff of 28, so we aren't always able to service everyone. Uh, but the intake department will call people back if it's something that we do not do. So for example, we do not do special education uh, legal assistance. Mm -hmm. We would refer someone out to like Mass Advocates for Children mm -hmm. or somewhere else. We do not do family law. So if that were a, a concern, uh, we would refer them over to other organizations that do that. Uh, but the intake department, uh, you know, is either um, they're taking in information, uh, it, it gets passed up to a team of lawyers that determine whether or not it fits uh, what are called our focus areas, and yep. those are all on our website. We have to set those up every year and file those with the federal government. 
And so if it fits what we are working on, then it will go to case review to determine whether or not we have capacity to handle that case. Uh, if so, we will take it on. If not, uh, we may, again, uh, provide some short consultation and or refer out to another organization. So intake is really the point of contact. Uh, we do work under what's called the PAD program, and so that's perfect protection and advocacy of individuals with developmental disabilities. Okay. And so in that program, uh, we uh, do some of the um, investigation and monitoring of group homes, facilities. We still have two state facilities, uh, mm -hmm. one being the Hogan Regional Center here in Danvers. Uh, so we go into um, group homes, uh, day programs. Uh, right now, uh, we actually have a survey on our website for anyone who's involved in the day habilitation program, uh, which is a program that's run for uh, folks to uh, be able to attend um, five days a week mm -hmm. in, a, in a program. Uh, there have been lots of issues around workplace, uh, workforce, um, uh, you know, which are of long standing, but were certainly exacerbated by COVID. Right. And so we have folks who either uh, are approved to attend a program and haven't been able to go back because they require the most intensive services and supports and programs are deciding not to bring those folks back uh, because they've got limited staff or folks are on reduced programs. Um, but we have a DAHAB survey out right now for anyone who's experiencing that. Either they have been approved for a service they're not receiving or they're on reduced services. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we do a lot of work. We have a lot of advocates uh, who are trained advocates that go out and, and monitor group homes for, um, you know, the, their, their living conditions. Are they able to be out in the community? Is it meaningful time out in the community? Right. Um, are you just among your peer group that live in that home rather than really being given the opportunity to participate in what you want to participate in right. in the community? So we have a, uh, a way of measuring that. Um, and we work with a lot of other sister agencies, the Arc of Massachusetts, mm -hmm. Mass Developmental Disabilities Commission, uh, Disability Policy Consortium, uh, the independent living folks. Uh, around a lot of this work um, and so but workforce is a huge huge issue that is impacting uh, services for those with intellectual and developmental disability and we're also working on legislation to try and broaden the front door of who qualifies for DDS services. Really? Uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So right now it's pegged you know to an IQ level uh, of roughly 70. Um, they used to provide a lot more bandwidth, uh, you know, of 70 to 75, give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm a firm believer that um, IQ is not an indicator of your ability to function. No, it's uh, not. And I speak from experience for a son that just misses that mark uh, and is still at home with me and requires, you know, assistance on a daily basis, right. but isn't right. seen in the eyes of DDS as someone who would qualify for and service. I think there are yeah. a lot of people who really fall into that gap. Um, my sister was one of those people. The only thing that really helped her was the fact that she had a coexisting condition and was serviced ultimately by uh, DMH because mm -hmm. her IQ was two points too high. Right. Um, I do want to discuss this, but I wanted to just backtrack for a second sure. to the survey on your um, on the webpage Correct. about because I, up until recently I worked for an agency and oversaw dehabilitation services and mm -hmm. and have dealt very very deeply with the staffing issue. And to your point that it's always been a problem, mm -hmm. but has it's become worse. It's gotten so much worse since right. COVID. Yes. Um, what do you hope? you know, with the survey, what do you hope with the data collected to do? Because I know, and, and again, also with expanding, you know, some of the um, qualifications, I mean, the concern really is being able to hire staff right. and the pay to do that. Mm -hmm. So with a survey like this, what are the outcomes that you're looking to get and how does that help yeah, the overall Yeah, there, there are a lot of outcomes that we're looking for. Um, you know, we are just trying to get stories mm -hmm. Um, we are collecting data. Uh, we are very concerned. We view it as a civil rights mm -hmm. issue that yeah. folks that need the most assistance are, we're finding, are not being brought back into the DAHAB right. program. 
for programmatic reasons, the people that are directing it that have fewer staff are deciding let's serve more people uh, with the limited staff we have um, rather than bring in folks that have intensive needs. We view that, we understand their challenges and concerns, but we view that as a civil rights issue, uh, that the most vulnerable are being left behind. Um, so we will use this uh, in a number of ways. Um, certainly to advocate to the legislature, which is sort of where I come in, right? I'm, I'm sort of completing the circle. Mm -hmm. We have very, very skilled investigators, advocates, uh, lawyers who do litigation. Uh, but when it comes to needing to make connections with and try to uh, work with the state agencies and the legislature, I'll be doing that piece of it as our lobbyist. Um, mm -hmm. And so and we're in a perfect place right. to do that based right. upon your background. Right, and the, and the connections I have with a lot of folks in the State House. So, um, so yes, it's a funding issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, there needs to be more funding for sure. Um, but there are, you know, just other uh, issues that we are concerned about mm -hmm. as well. Um, in the rewriting of some of the federal waivers, we are concerned that our state is really trying to uh, move away from the standard of least restrictive setting and allowing folks some flexibility and allowing some funding to um, allow folks to be in, in lesser restrictive settings with some additional funding from the state. Um, that is, seems to be shifting. So, so it will be to fight for more money uh, and, um, you know, but it will also be to really, um, you know, hold the um, provider's feet to the fire as well, um, that they can't just be, uh, we feel, discriminating against those that have the, the most intensive needs. Now, you were talking about funding. Mm -hmm. State, federal, and private? Our funding or the funding we're talking about here? Your funding. Our funding is state. Uh, we receive monies from AMLAC, the Massachusetts Legal Assistance Corporation, which is really funds all the legal aids throughout okay. the, the state. We're considered a subset and a partner to the legal aids. Uh, we specialize in disability, obviously, uh, as does one other organization called the uh, Committee for Public Representation. But otherwise, our partner agencies are these legal aids. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they often refer over to us if it's someone with a disability and we refer over to them if it's something that's more appropriate for them. So that's our state funding. It's, it's uh, in a budgetary line item. Uh, we receive some private funding, um, although that's a challenge for me as the new director is to try to diversify and deepen that, that private funding. Uh, the vast majority of our money comes from the federal government. So as I mentioned, we work with um, you know, intellectual developmental disability work, the social security work. We receive money through PAMI, which is protection and advocacy of individuals with mental illness. So that's our behavioral health work. Uh, and with that, we go into, uh, again, group homes, day programs that are DMH funded clubhouses. Uh, we also have broad authority to go in and investigate in jails, prisons, uh, we go into Bridgewater State on a weekly basis, the hospital where people yep. land, uh, you know, if they've been criminally involved and have, uh, you know, a behavioral health issue. Uh, we go in and monitor that because of the um, concerns that have been present over the uh, overuse of restraint, seclusion, chemical restraint, uh, lack of programming, services, lack of fresh air. Uh, Etc. So we, we go into all the different state hospitals. So Tuxbury State Hospital, for example, has contracts that service both IDD and folks with behavioral health. Uh, but as I said, jails, prisons, uh, any institution. Um, we go into uh, nursing homes, uh, assisted livings, etc. So we do a lot of behavioral health work, uh, and that's a funder. Uh, we fund uh, through voting rights to be, make sure that folks have access to being able to vote. We were able to get a piece into the most recent voting rights legislation that uh, allowed those who are blind and low vision to be able to vote remotely at home. Uh, because How was it not already? Yeah. It, it wasn't in place. And in fact, one of the things I needed to do on my first week on the job was talk to the Secretary of State because they were sort of dragging their feet on this. A braille um, ballot. And How so, yeah, so, so that, that has now been done because people would have to go into a polling place and they would have to use 
you know, specialized machinery that may or may not be working at the time. You know, they might have, have to have someone read out the ballot to them. There was no privacy. And so that piece we did. But we'll also be tackling and working on making sure that we continue to have remote participation and access to what happens in cities and towns to be able to, you know, participate. Uh, we want people to be able to vote remotely on those things, weighing in on your, your town meeting or what have you. Mm -hmm. So we work on that stuff too. So we have a voting rights advocate and we are funded through the PAVA program to help uh, disabled folks have access to voting. And we will be expanding that to make sure that now that uh, they've made permanent like vote by mail in Massachusetts, yep. yes. we want to make sure that someone who applies, first of all, knows they can apply for mm -hmm. vote by mail. But what happens when that ballot gets to a nursing home, an assisted living, a jail? Who makes sure those people receive it and are able to vote and return and then, it? Right. Turn so, them so we'll be doing some of that work as well. Yeah. Um, we also work with victims of crime. So we have uh, funding for that. Um, so if it's a disabled person that's been a victim of crime, we have someone that specializes in that. Um, what else? Assistive technology uh, to Which make sure that getting even getting yeah. getting the item, knowing how to use it, and if you're of school age, coordination with your school. So for augmentative communication devices, you know, is it only given at school? Is it not allowed to be brought home? Is everyone trained on how to use it, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, right now, we have a big push uh, on a wheelchair right to repair bill uh, because motorized wheelchairs can cost as much as a car. And yes. uh, when they break down, oftentimes people are told that you know they're in a six-month wait list to even have the have the wheelchair looked at. Mm -hmm. If you tamper with it in any way, try to fix it, it can void the warranty, um, and then a, a you know a backup for parts as well. So we're really pushing that. As in other states, there is a wheelchair uh, bill of rights, and we really want to see that happen here. We're getting fierce pushback from the two organizations, the, the two businesses that receive Medicaid contracts to, to, to do this. They want to sell. They don't necessarily want to service. Right. And right. it's been going on since before COVID and, and um, issues you know, with um, access to parts. So it's, that's, that's not the excuse. Right. So, so we have a piece of legislation we were able to get to pass in the Senate last year, late in the session, uh, did not pass the House. So that's a high priority for us. So because the way we look at it, uh, a wheelchair is someone's access. Right. Right. It's, yes. their it's their wings. It's their, it's their wings. Their yeah. And I, yeah. I just wanted to ask because, um, and I've heard this through news reports, you know, traveling is such a problem. And I don't know if this plays into it, but mm -hmm. so many instances, somebody needs to use their wheelchair to you know, get to the plane, and then the wheelchair is stored, whether it's a mechanical one or not. Mm -hmm. And so many stories where they are broken in the process. Is there any involvement that you have we if it's don't, a Massachusetts resident? We don't have that. I mean, it's conceivable that someone could call us that that happened mm -hmm. to, and we would direct them uh, you know, to where we might be able to address it. I think that might be a federal issue because okay. that would involve really well, the, the FAA. Yes. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to ask. It yeah, no, it's a like great, it's a great question. We because haven't. again, it's their legs, it's their yes. mobility, and suddenly that's, I, I hear a great lawsuit in the back of my head yeah. right now going. Right, yeah. we haven't entertained that, but that's interesting. Yeah. Um, it is really more of a federal pursuit. It's, mm -hmm. I was present at a couple of inaugurations on Wednesday, uh, one being Andrea Campbell's, uh, the new attorney general, because I served on her transition committee. And I did see Senator Markey there and, and talked with him a little bit about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, and he is a big proponent, you know, uh, really actively fighting for um, the consumer protection rights of, of those who fly. That's so great. that's probably an issue that we could raise with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but that piece we've not not done right now. But we have a, a, a big group of active wheelchair users mm -hmm. as part of our sure. group that, and we've been in the state house actively mm -hmm. lobbying to sure. try to get this passed. And my point in this is other states have already come to this agreement with these two uh, you know, business uh, groups. Right. So why aren't Massachusetts Ex residents, right. uh, you know, why sense. shouldn't they be deserving of those same mm -hmm. protections? So so that's something that we do. We also let's, do traumatic, oh God, I was going to say, let's pull this back just a little yeah. bit. Okay, just one more sub, and Go then for we've it. got the yeah. full umbrella, I okay. think. <laughs> I think. 
Traumatic brain injury. Yes. We also do traumatic brain injury work mm -hmm. as well. So that's sort of the big, broad umbrella, and mm -hmm. then you can ask me whatever you like. Okay. <laughs> One of the things, and you might not be aware of it, when I go to the polling place, because we do have that machine in town. Right. And we did have our previous town mm -hmm. clerk come in and do a demonstration of the Automark machine yes. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I always ask him to replay that episode when we're coming up on an election. Mm -hmm. I actually go and use that machine to test it. We, we actually encourage uh, our staff and we do pay some independent living organizations to go around on election day to check, they have a checklist to check whether the Automark is working, whether yeah, someone there knows how to use it. And, and of course, ADA access in Not to the polling places. Not even just ADA access, but I'll ask, where's the Automark machine? Mm -hmm. What's that? Oh, that's the machine that people will use if they need extra assistance. They maybe can't stand up or, you know, they need a little, oh, is it that one over there in the corner? Mm -hmm. And then I'll yeah. have a conversation with somebody afterwards. So there's a training aspect to this yes. as well, yes. that people yes. who are even involved in the you know, process of voting and setting up may not be aware what that little, you know, that machine is. And That's so right. there are multiple issues here around that. And even transportation. I remember when we did that show that she said, we will make sure people are transported if they don't have access because mm -hmm. usually they may not be driving. They may have to, you know, they have transportation to other things, but voting, hmm, right. how does that work out? And so. for some people being able to go to a place and cast a ballot in person to pick up that ballot, mark it how, mm -hmm. whether or not they're marking it standing up, sitting down, however, mm -hmm. and then handing it to another person. I find that a lot with our veterans specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that, that means something. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of filling in the bubbles while you sit and watching your favorite television program on, right. on your sofa and mailing it back in. Um, so that in and of itself, to know that you're doing that, I mm -hmm. think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. right. um, especially There's a lot more work that needs to be yes. done. I don't right. want to misconstrue that we're, we've solved for this. Like, it, it, it's but great that there's yes. vote by mail, yeah. but now we've got to be sure that mm -hmm. it, you know, people are aware of it, they can apply, and then what happens when it lands at their right. place of and, residence. And the fact right. that they didn't have braille ballots, that's just, that blows it's my mind. Because the state is required. Well, this is actually online. This is actually allowing someone to have a, a reader, a visual reader of their ballot. Okay. Um, vote remotely using their adaptive equipment at home and be able to send that back in electronically. Which doesn't even better. Yes. Yes. So yes. that's what that is. Um, and it had been put in place for we do litigation. So we brought the city of Boston into court to make sure that this would happen when they had their big mayoral race okay. uh, three years ago yeah. now. Um, and uh, they complied when we filed in court. And so they rolled it out for the Boston mayoral election uh, that happened when uh, Mayor Wu was elected. Um, it was in place for uh, the previous year's statewide elections, but by the time they got it up and ready, um, there was no real public relations campaign. People didn't really know about it, so a lot of people didn't didn't uh, know to be able to have access to it. And the Secretary of State's office at that point saw it as just a one and done. And we were like, oh no, this needs to be an ongoing thing. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done uh, with the disability community to know that this is an option, with the clerks yes. to let them know that this is an option, and also the training piece around the automark is obviously important as well. No, that, that's a huge thing, mm -hmm. especially where, you know, not to get political, but voting rights and how votes mm -hmm. are counted are, is becoming more and more. It's more controversial. Yes, it's more controversial. And if somebody wants to vote mm -hmm. and is eligible to vote, then they should know should that. Be, yeah, we should be making, not to cut you off, but we yeah. should be making every effort in every state to make sure that people yes. have access, regardless of disability or where they live, if they're in a rural yeah. area, we have to make it as easy as possible. And I'm thinking so the rural area, that would be yeah. fantastic for people who live maybe out in western Massachusetts yeah. that is a little bit 
more rural, not necessarily rural itself, comparatively speaking to inside the 495 belt mm -hmm. to give people that opportunity right. throughout the Commonwealth to be able to do that. Right. Now, you also mentioned lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not a matter of um, I have an issue, I come into you, mm -hmm. you give me free counsel similar to if I was a criminal and I'm on, you know, I have a right to an attorney. You actually have a threshold of the type of lawsuits you bring and where you bring them. Is that correct? Correct, correct yes. So generally speaking, the lawsuits that we bring are of a systemic uh, nature. Um, if we see a pattern and a trend, um, we may reach out to a number mm -hmm. of different people that are struggling with the same thing uh, to be able to file a lawsuit. So without getting into specifics, uh, before I came along, there were a number of lawsuits with some of the uh, very well-known um, subscription TV programs. They weren't closed captioning. Okay. So we brought yes. a number of them to court uh, and received a settlement and a requirement that they caption on behalf of folks, again, who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, you know, we uh, have, um, yeah, generally speaking, if we're going to go to court, it's really for a, a big, broad, overarching issue that's affecting a lot of people. We really don't have enough bandwidth with 28 employees to do a lot of individual right. representation. Yes. We do Thanks. some. We do get some federal funding under PAIR, which is protection and advocacy of individual representation. Uh, but it's, it, it's much smaller. Um, but we do help some folks if they have been, you know, have a really, um, you know, uh, strong case of where they've been discriminated against, uh, you know, based on their, their physical impairment or whatever it may be. Um, and oftentimes we will provide um, consultation and, and sometimes accompany them at, you know, to court. In fact, I know we settled something this week on behalf of someone who had been uh, discriminated against. Uh, we went into mediation and, and did that with, with two of our lawyers. So, so we do litigation, but the vast majority of it is, is, is big, broad, systemic issues. Uh, um, we also do uh, some individual employment uh, cases, employment uh, discrimination okay. cases. Uh, we certainly do ADA compliance issues. Um, you know, actually this week we also had a, an individual who uh, lived in an apartment. His bathroom was not accessible, uh, physically accessible for him. He had a balcony, but he could not get out on said balcony because of the tracking, you know, and the, the threshold yep, right, between right. the living space and the porch uh, or the balcony. And we were able to kind of work with uh, the folks that owned his apartment building um, to help get those necessary adaptive pieces mm -hmm. done. Sometimes it's as simple as just calling and contacting whoever you know owns uh, a mm -hmm. dwelling. They may not, they may not know. Right. Um, other piece. times we have to step it up and mm -hmm. explain what you know ADA um, compliance or non-compliance looks like. Um, so we do, we do some of that as well. Um, but yeah, the litigation pieces are primarily larger. So mm -hmm. once in a while, we'll have people come in thinking that we can be their individual, you know, personal injury uh, yeah, exactly. lawyer. Uh, and you know, we've had a couple of cases because if, if people people have a right if they are turned away uh, to an appeal, and that comes to me. And recently, we've had a case where someone had filed like thirty some odd grievances and legal. Um, you know, legal proceedings against a number of different people for a number of different reasons and thought, well, you know, Disability Law Center will be my personal, you know, attorney and, and wade through and represent me through all 30, and we, I had to say, no, yeah, we don't do that. Do. Yeah. That is not what we do, I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, so, um, so that's, you know. So I, I guess the most important thing is, is to know that um, reach out to us, reach out early. Um, you know, we may not always be able to take your case for capacity reasons right. or, uh, you know, because it's outside what we do, um, but we will always try to, you know, um, come up with the resources for you to go, mm -hmm. to go elsewhere. We also have two attorneys who have worked for DLC for over 30 years each, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the work they do, they're both part-time at this point, but they, 
they do a lot of uh, tracking of benefits, federal and state benefits, because that's the other thing. Knowledge is power. Yes. If you don't know what you qualify for or, or how and why, you know, you apply and, and you know, what might um, sabotage a, a mm -hmm. mass health application or a, a SNAP application or whatever it may be, at, you know, Social Security, SSI, disability, and there have been loads of issues with Social Security since the uh, pandemic mm -hmm. around capacity and, and, and long, long, long wait times to, yeah. to have your application looked at. These two ladies are really subject matter experts in benefits, um, so much so that they consult and we get uh, some, some monies to, uh, state monies to have them help consult with all the other legal aids across the state. Mm -hmm. um, so they are, you know, if there's a question on something, oftentimes we talk to them because they really keep up to date on that. And one of the um, goals and aspirations I have for DLC is to be out doing more of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. in the community and also filming sort of a series of how-tos um, in terms of benefits. Uh, you know, basic, basic how-tos yes. on benefits I, I for folks. Because I feel huge. like a lot of people have no idea how to even begin to yeah. access. They, they, they don't. And you, then we've had several programs yeah. regarding transition planning. Mm -hmm. You know, and what your, to do your child is yeah. nearing the age of 18. Well, all of a sudden, you have no legal authority to oversee. So then it's a question of, okay, do I go for guardianship? Mm -hmm. Don't I go for guardianship? Yeah. Are the, is the person eligible for SSDI? Aren't they eligible? You know, right. and all those bits and pieces. You know, while they were on my health insurance and didn't need Mass Health, should I sign them up for Mass Health either as a primary or a second? There are so many right. moving so many parts. Levels, right. Exactly. There, to me, two parts to the transition because there is the turning 18 piece where if your child was already on Social Security through the parent, mm -hmm. then they have to reapply again. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot that especially parents may not understand. And then, of course, there's the turning 22 piece and that comes with its own issues. And mm -hmm. I remember dealing with a family who had their child on both Mass Health and on their personal insurance, and really the better situation is Mass Health because they were depending on the insurance where the insurance wasn't covering certain medications that Mass Health would cover. Mm -hmm. So having that information, I think, is just a pot of gold right there that yes, right. to understand because there are so many things to weave in and out. So. And, and even before the child turns 18, mm -hmm. I know we the have prep. Mass Health as a secondary. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize. Mass Health as a secondary mm -hmm. opens them up to so many of the services that you're overseeing mm -hmm. that they won't be able to be eligible for because mm -hmm. they don't have Mass Health. Right? Are you, ex you know, I know you have a lot to do. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you explain to people? Is that something that maybe you want to be able to explain more if you have your how-tos type of series? Yeah, I think. I think we do it right now situationally, but mm -hmm. what I'd really like to do is have some of that how-to done. And other legal aids that I've conferred with mm -hmm. do this in other states uh, through TikTok, believe it or not. Yeah. So what yeah, better TikTok way to reach out to younger resource. people? They're watching it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's gotta be of short duration, but um, you know, to be able to sort of give a quick, you mm -hmm. know, back and forth of, of how-to uh, to at least get people started. You're gonna have a hard time possibly on that one. There's federal legislation that was just signed taking TikTok off of a lot of the federal computers and, and um, not being able to let agencies do that. And there was just, yeah, I was so reading bad. on master list yesterday, mm -hmm. um, there is a state, I believe it was a state rep. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me, I, w I hadn't had my tea and it was getting late. <laughs> um, I believe it was a state rep. I can always send it to you if you want me to. If you weren't, if you hadn't seen it, who just filed legislation that mirrors right. what the, the president state. just right. signed into law. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if TikTok, maybe YouTube, would they? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, yeah, it, there are it, a number it, of platforms. we can certainly find the appropriate yeah. platform. Um, yeah, I mean, I I had not seen that. I know that some states were deciding to take their government agencies off of TikTok, but I did not realize that the president had, had done that at the, at the federal level. But regardless, you know, finding, mm -hmm. a, finding a way to reach folks, um, you know, also trying to uh, make our stuff accessible mm -hmm. in multiple languages. Right, yes. Uh, we have real concerns around BIPOC communities, mm -hmm. uh, and they are really, you know, doubly affected uh, with a lot of the challenges right. uh, that disabled that people sense. face. 
Um, and so we really do try to take an intersectional approach to all of that. You mentioned guardianship, and that's a great reminder mm -hmm. to me that um, one of our big legislative and advocacy pushes with the ARC and the Mass Developmental Disabilities um, Group and others from the independent living world um, is for something called supported decision making. Yeah. And it's sort of a mid-step between all or nothing, the all mm -hmm. or nothing that would be choosing not to have a guardian, which mm -hmm. is what I did for my son when he turned 18. I chose not to be his guardian uh, and uh, having full guardianship, full mm -hmm. control over your child. Supported decision making's uh, already in place in other states. It's an alternative. It recognizes that people may need some guidance and assistance, but ought to have some input, if, if appropriate, mm -hmm. into their life decisions. And so there is a piece of legislation that we've been pushing that also passed the Senate in October, uh, way at the end of a, at the 11th hour of a two-year legislative session, did not pass the House, but we're really hopeful that that will happen this session. Um, but it would allow uh, the person uh, to be able to self-advocate, and we work with a lot of self-advocates uh, at Mass Advocate Standing Strong mm -hmm. and other places, recognizing that uh, nothing about us without us is their credo. Uh, so allowing folks to, you know, have input and make decisions, but recognizing on some things they might need some assistance from mm -hmm. someone they trust, right. uh, be it their, you know, a family member, a trusted friend, uh, in some instances, where, an agency. Where could somebody find that legislation in the hopes of, you know, if you, they're reading, a, I, mean, I would assume you'd have a blurb about it, not, mm -hmm. not just the change the page here type of stuff. Right. And somebody says, gee, I really like that. I'd like to tell my state rep or my state senator that they should support it. Mm -hmm. Where can they find that? Is it, is it on your website? It is on our website. And I would also say uh, that because they are the primary um, advocates on this, I would say to also, you could look at the Mass Developmental Disabilities Commission website, the Arc of Massachusetts mm -hmm. legislative page also. I used to work there and set up that page. Uh, but we're all working in tandem to try to mm -hmm. do this work. Um, and a, another big push that we're involved in is uh, um, nursing home, uh, Olmstead, federal Olmstead law, least restrictive setting, um, really trying to work. There are some really awful nursing homes yeah. out there. Yes. They tend to be corporate owned, they tend to be private equity financed, and a lot so of them- So there's no real oversight yeah, over them. A lot of them, yeah. they're not local anymore. Uh, I worked in Prescott House when I was 17 years old, and the owners were on site, and there was great training and mm. great uh, you know, staffing, and it was a well-run place. The the head, of, I'll never forget, the head of nursing had come from heading up nursing at Lawrence General. Like, you don't see that anymore. This is all right. like yeah. some, uh, pl you know, placed in some other state, nameless, faceless, uh, and staffing has been an issue. Um, certainly, COVID, we know what Did happened there. Right. Um, but we do a lot of investigation, particularly of some of these uh, corporate-owned um, nursing home facilities. Uh, and we work with, in partnership with a number of groups. Again, in collaboration, uh, there's a group called Dignity Alliance of Massachusetts, and um, they have a whole set of, uh, you know, um, legislation that's going to be filed this session, looking at the rights of uh, folks with uh, in nursing homes, mm -hmm. uh, and the right to actually, you know, leave a nursing home and be put into the community, and that how many folks get stuck. Yeah. right in in yeah. a nursing home uh, and don't want to be there so we do a lot of collaboration on that regard as well and so that's not just just to be clear for those with disabilities but is that also for elder care as well or a combination yes of well I mean the feeling is right if someone's in a nursing home mm -hmm. they've had to pass a standard of uh, you know yes they're older right. uh, mostly you can have a younger person in a nursing home um, but, you know, they've had to pass a certain, um, you know, health benchmark that, mm -hmm. that would, would make them disabled. Right. Uh, unless if they're private paying in uh, because they want to be there and be mm -hmm. taken care of, anyone who's in there under Medicaid, they have to have reached a certain level of right. functional impairment mm -hmm. that the state recognizes requires uh, being there. So, mm -hmm. so we're really trying to push to have folks be able to have other options in the community rather than being 
uh, be in nursing homes. And one of the real longtime proponents that's part of this Dignity Alliance is Charlie Carr from Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Used to be the head of the Independent Living Center there, yeah. then was the director of mass rehab under Governor Patrick, uh, and now works at the Disability Policy Consortium. So, you know, he, he uh, was injured as a young man, spent a number of years in a nursing home, and is just has always been passionate about fighting this. So we, we join with our sister agencies, mm -hmm. you know, to, to collaborate and, and to uh, be able to create synergies and, you know, all pulling in the same direction. Makes complete sense. And, and I'm so happy to hear that because mm -hmm. I think that's another, you know, we've done that type of work, you know, over the decades for people who were institutionalized and mm -hmm. getting them into, you know, more of the communities, as you say, and the same is true just because you're aging and you may have some substantial yes. issues, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a huge fear factor for everybody, the idea What of happens when? What happens when right. and how are you treated and then you lose, you, it's almost like becoming an infant again in some ways. So it's, it's a very large concern and it's very gratifying to hear that um, your agency is on top of something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to thank you for your time today. Yes, of course. For being here. Thank you so much. I'm hoping the website and the phone number will. Yes, that will, will definitely. Yeah, 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 it yeah. definitely goes up. Very yeah. good. Um, you know, on, in terms of on the end credits, and then what we'll typically do is we take a post-production mm -hmm. picture, mm -hmm. and we put yep. that up with that. Um, and we post it. We have our own Facebook page. Oh, nice! So we'll be sharing it through yes. that. And the town, wonderful. the town had made a rule quite a few years mm -hmm. ago that the committees and the commissions that report to the select board weren't going to have their own independent Facebook pages anymore. Mm -hmm. And they've graciously mm -hmm. allowed us to keep ours up. Oh, good! For being able to provide this information, mm -hmm. um, probably make it also easier yeah. for them so they're not constantly <laughs> hearing from me going, "Post this, post that." Right. Very um, good. And for people who might want to volunteer, do you offer volunteer opportunities? So at the moment, we're really not equipped mm -hmm. to uh, volunteer, and it's really more a capacity of supervision. Mm -hmm. At some that point, we yeah. may. Uh, we do take uh, law fellows. We do take law mm -hmm. students uh, during, during the summer for law yes. students. Right. Law fellows, of course, post-law mm -hmm. school graduation. Um, you know, we do have a job opening right now uh, at the Disability Law Center um, looking for someone who um, would want to join our rep payee team mm -hmm. and uh, needs to be able to drive, get themselves around the state mm -hmm. um, and, you know, do these interviews in homes, mm -hmm. be subject to a federal security clearance. and. Mm -hmm all sorts of federal rules and regulations you have to jump through to do this properly. So it's, course, it's challenging work, right. uh, but we do have an opening uh, within that rep payee program mm -hmm. at the moment. So if anyone is interested in no. that, that would be something Thank worth checking sharing. out on our website. Great. No, yeah. especially considering the industry is bleeding people and yeah. a lot of people still want jobs and Right. get back to work and, and do good somehow in the community. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Barbara. I'm of really, course. I'm really thrilled. I, I know pleasure. we spoke about this back in the summer and I'm glad we were able to make this yeah. happen. Yeah, I'm glad we waited a little because I was still <laughs> learning. There's no. so much to learn with no. funding sources and what everyone does and I'm still learning every day. I'm that's, humbled by my staff. They're wonderful. And you're going to be learning every day yeah. for the rest of your life because right. that's the way the law is. It right. It's the it's ever changing you, and evolving. You know, you know <laughs> mm -hmm. somebody puts a piece of legislation in and then it all of a sudden affects 40 million different things. So mm -hmm. that's just the industry you're in and mm -hmm. the fact that you, you know, wanted to take the time to be able to come on board and still talk to us, that, that means a lot to me personally. Well, so thank you. Same here. Thank, thank you again. You. Thank you. Of course. And again, thank you, Barbara, for joining us today. You can learn more about the Disability Law Center at www.dlc.ma.org. Now, this information is special just for the residents of North Andover. The Select Board is looking to fill vacancies on the Commission on Ability Assistance. The role of the Commission on Ability Assistance is to serve the town in an advisory capacity to identify the needs of the community under the ADA Civil Rights Law 
and to monitor initiatives generated by this committee to see that results are achieved. The Commission meets once a month on Saturdays at 1215 here at North Andover Cam Studio. Meetings typically last about an hour and Commission members based upon state guidelines are allowed to attend meetings remotely in order to ensure that everybody has the ability to participate regardless of their ability needs. If you're interested, please visit the town website at www.northandoverma.gov. There are way too many dots in the world. <laughs> and click on board and committee info on the left-hand side of the page to complete a volunteer form. And please contact Jillian Brothers with any questions you have at jbrothers at northandoverma.gov or 978-688-9510. And just to plug, it's just not our committee. There are so many other committees and commissions in the need. town that could, need, that could so use we some welcome volunteers. We welcome uh, all of our residents to take a look and, and apply. And uh, electric rates are starting to climb again. <sighs> are you aware of the town's community choice supply program? Have you switched back from the town-sponsored electric plan yet? You can call Colonial Power Group at 866 485-5858 extension 1 to learn more, but you must opt in to obtain the contract service rates. Also go to colonialpowergroup.com forward slash North Andover or call 866-968-8065 and ask to join. Thank you to our crew this month from GLTS. We have Alex Santiago. From North Shore Academy we have Zachary Jones. And we also have John Kafori, a GLTS alum, and from Curry College, Carly Jones. Our 2022-2023 season is booked up. We're so excited. I just got a call yesterday from somebody asking to be on the show. That's always a good sign. <laughs> Next month, February, we're going to have State Senator Bruce Tarr to come on and discuss his legislative agenda for his upcoming mm -hmm. session. I think that's going to be fun, We're but you know I love thrilled. that. Yep. March will be joined by the Federation for Children with Special Needs. April's guest is Women's Money Matters. Mm -hmm. And State Trom Wynn will be discussing her legislative agenda for the upcoming session in May. And I told you our season has already been booked. Our, our season will wrap up in June with Mini MEVA. They're part of the Merrimack Valley Regional Transit of Authority. Authority, yep. yep. Um, our former state rep, Christina Minacucci, is actually going to be doing some um, consulting work with them. That's great. And she's the one who reached out to me. We're consistently looking for new topics to explore here on Ability Assistance. We would love to truly know the, what topics you want to know more information about. If there are any specific topics that you'd like to learn more about, please email me at pjones. P-J-O-N-E-S, at NorthAndoverMA.gov. In addition to watching through the cable stations, you can catch all of our programs on demand via YouTube, the Cablecast app through Roku and Apple TV, North Andover Cam's website. We release it on podcast on Podbean. Until next month, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great month.